You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Of the Orange County Business Journal, in for Rick Franzi. And welcome to the Critical Mass Radio Show. As listeners of this program know well, or executives, middle executives in Orange County, created by Rick Franzi, uh, one of the pioneers of peer-to-peer learning. And uh, on the show, as always, we'll have two terrific guests. Coming up in our second half hour is John Cavalieri. He's one of the guys, one of the top uh, folks, top uh, management folks who decides asset allocation and all that other important stuff at the giant fund manager, giant money manager, PIMCO, out of Newport Beach. We'll ask John how he's gauging the market where he's advising all their various uh, fund managers to uh, put their clients' money in the second half hour. But first off, we're going to be joined by a prolific author, 40-year uh, businessman, first many times in different capacities in healthcare, and now out with his latest book. Uh, Gary Tomlinson is the author and the 40-year businessman, and the book is called Discovering Execution. Before we get to Gary, know that you can or are listening to us on either the criticalmassforbusiness.com website or octalkradio.net, created by my good friend Paul Roberts some seven, eight years ago. And let's bring in now Gary Tomlinson. As I mentioned, his latest book is Author of Discovering Execution. Welcome, Gary. Thank you. Um, appreciate you having me on, Pete. You bet. And I detect a little bit of accent. Does that mean you're coming to us from the South, or that's just where you were fooled? Well, I was raised in Washington, D.C., and I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, so just across the street from you. <laughs> just across the street and 3,000 miles from Orange County. Yeah. Well, nice, nice to talk with you. First, uh, your bona fides for folks uh, before we get to uh, your latest book. Uh, you got into business, or even why don't you take us, uh, take us through college and then your journey? Well, I had wanted to go into medical school. And during college, I worked in the summer as an operating room technician in the hospital. And when I graduated from college, medical school was insistent that you have higher than an F in organic chemistry <laughs> in order to get in. So, but it was, it was physics F, for me. It was, it was chemistry yeah. for you? <laughs> it, was, it was organic chemistry, but it was a high F because I'm not a stupid man. <laughs> and, uh, but I had the skill set of being an operating room technician, and so that's what I did. And I worked in a teaching institution, and I started to learn. I had other residents that taught me how to handle tissue, suture, cut, tie. And I started getting into surgical assisting. And after a year and a half in the hospital, I was hired away and became the youngest kid in the U.S. to pioneer U.S. surgical stapling instruments. And three years later, I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina to start a medical home care company. And we pioneered infant monitoring for crib death. We pioneered oxygen concentrators. And we were the first in the United States to take patients home on total life support equipment. You're prob- probably well familiar then with the products of the company uh, Massimo out here, which does patient monitoring using some of the latest technology like AI, but similar business to what you were doing back several decades ago. Yeah, back 1978 when we started. That was before they had liability insurance. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So uh, that training serves you well uh, these days as an author, as a coach, as a a motivational speaker, as basically a business expert, the medical training has served you well? It, it, has, tra- it has served me well, because I actually did go to medical school. I uh, got a, a degree in cardiac technology from Eastern Virginia Medical School. 
and that education and the discipline that it took, uh, the studying has continued to serve me well. And then the businesses, um, just pioneering. Most of my career has been pioneering, whether it be the home care companies that I started and sold or medical manufacturing company that I started and sold. And so it got me into consulting, which I was doing just until I figured out what I was going to do next and never figured out what I was going to do next <laughs> and have just stayed with consulting. Was any part of that, Gary, I asked this to all people out here in Orange County who are owners and have been in business for a long time. I always say, ask, could you do that today, especially something like manufacturing in California? Do you think you could have started and run and sold successful companies today like you did? That's a great question, and I don't know if I have a great answer. But the answer I do have is because we were doing something that nobody else had done yet, we didn't know what we didn't know. <laughs> and it wasn't that we were going down somebody else's road. We had to pave our own road. And I think the biggest obstacle I would have today in starting over was knowing what I know. And so, knowing so what there's I know, something... I wouldn't start the businesses over because... I know too much. You, you didn't know and you had to do budgets, manage people. Yeah, um, and, and, I, and, and I know this sounds, I'm not talking about going into something blindly, but sometimes not knowing. You just know you're going to find a way, even if you're not sure how you're going to do it. And it takes. And it was yeah. that belief, that commitment to the idea that I believe was such a successful component of, of my journey. So you go from being from being an owner ex uh, executive to being a consultant, and then you branch out from that, as I mentioned, into books. This book we'll get to now, uh, Discovering Execution, uh, which you co-write, and this is not your first um, this is not your first uh, uh, pony ride, right? And as far as being an author, no, we this uh, Miles Kirsten is the co-author of this book and my partner, and Miles and I have written a number of articles together. So this book, Discovering Execution, uh, and you've, I think, had the title. You refer to yourself as a CXO, Chief Execution Officer. Explain yes. that. That is, that is something that in we, Miles and I both have been in this space, and it's a rare space. It's bringing execution excellence to these organizations to help them maximize uh, their full potential, if you will. And we've both been in this space for over eight years. And it's something that we're, we continue to learn, we continue to specialize in, and we think it's at its infancy. It's, it's an overarching theme, execution. So uh, give, give me some specifics. It's different, of course, for every type of business, but give me an example, give me an example maybe of a client. Give me a case study out of the book. All right. We use a lot of our clients, whether it was a client of Miles or a client of mine, and we sort of interchange them uh, throughout the book. But we have a, a number of, of examples that, um, that we cite. First of all, execution and execution management. When you think about execution, it's something that we all think we know what it's about. We use the word all the time. But we think about execution, Pete, in terms of a company. Or, or a division, or a department, and, or even a team. But execution doesn't happen at an organizational level, and it doesn't happen at a division level or a department level. 
no matter how you slice it, it happens at an individual level. And when you think of execution, everything we do is takes execution. It takes execution to put a strategy together. It takes execution to plan how we're going to achieve it. It takes execution to engage others. It takes execution to implement the plan we do put together. Everything we do with a purpose takes execution. But here's the dilemma. If everything we do takes execution, then how come we don't really spend much time trying to get better at it? In fact, why doesn't every leader have execution as the number one competency they want their team or their division or their department or their organization to master? Well, we're going to get into the specifics of execution. You write about something called the execution cycle and uh, see if we can get a few more specific examples, companies, clients, uh, out of Gary Tomlinson. He is the author of Discovering Execution. As I mentioned, coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to have John Cavalieri, a longtime investment pro, and he's with the giant uh, money manager, Pimco, out of Newport Beach. He'll be in our second half hour, but 40-year business veteran, uh, now author Gary Tomlinson, will stay with us through the break. Tell us more about execution. You're listening to Critical Mass, the radio show. Pete Weitzner, editor of the Orange County Business Journal in for Rick Franzi. We're back in a minute. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. Welcome back to Critical Mass for Business, Critical Mass, the radio show. I'm Pete Weitzner of the Orange County Business Journal, editor in for Rick Franzi. Rick will be back next week, I think. Is that right, Paul? Okay. Not an extended vacation for Rick. And joined by author Gary Tomlinson, 40-year healthcare executive turned consultant turned author, and he's here to talk about discovering execution and get into the specifics. Let's talk about the execution cycle, Gary. Yes, sir. Paul, the execution cycle, this is something that happens dozens, hundreds, and even thousands of times a day in all of work and in every organization. And most of us aren't aware of it. And once you really understand what this cycle is, you're going to be able to see it in action all around you. And you're going to wonder why you never knew this or never noticed it before. And when I describe it, it's going to sound simple, but don't let its simplicity fool you. The execution cycle, it consists of a request, a promise, and a follow-through. That seems simple enough, but if you look deeper, you're going to begin to understand there's just so much more to it. And the more to it has to do with the requirements for effective execution cycles. And an effective cycle, that's just one that maximizes the the likelihood of, of getting the wanted result. Now, the execution cycle consists of a request, a promise, and a follow-through. But it requires effective request, including who are you asking the promise from? What is it that you want? Exactly when do you want it? And in what form do you want it? And it requires the person who the request was made to think of it as a promise. And in keeping their promise, they have to follow through on that request. 
it's a discipline. When we work with organizations, when especially when we're working with executive team alignment, we always do execution cycle um, exercises. And we'll ask the different senior execs to make a request. And Paul, a lot of times the request is, I need that report tomorrow morning. When we first start that and, and they ask that of us, we just look at them and we may respond, hey, that's good to know. Thanks for sharing. And when they ask, well, are you going to do it? Well, there was nothing. You didn't ask us anything. You told us what you needed. I know that sounds a little funny, but during these exercises, it's amazing how leaders find that a lot of the times they don't make a request at all. They make a demand or they make a statement, and they rarely ever give the detail necessary to be successful in having somebody follow through on that request. Well, I know a common lament in, in my 30-odd years of being in, in various professions is, I wish my boss would just tell me what they want. So it seems like you're yeah. you're going toward that. They should be specific. Now, is this something that necessarily has to be documented, these three components to the execution cycle? I'm not sure I understand. In other words, for, for each request, for each promise and follow-through, should the, the manager, the person, or the, the C-suite person, should they, be, should they have that documented? Or it's just part of the philosophy of the company? I, I think both could work. But here's, here's what is important. When a request is made, if we can learn to be a competent requester, we can really change the outcome of the things we ask for. We're in a lot more control of getting what we want if we just become competent in the requests that we make. Instead of saying, I need that report tomorrow morning, I could say, Paul, I need you to follow through and get that report to me by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. I need it in a good form uh, both in a printed document and in a Word document. I'm going to be using it as part of my presentation to the board of directors at 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So this is really important. Now, Paul, if I made that request, you could say, hey, no problem, Gary. I should be able to get that done. But if you start thinking about every time you say I will or no problem as, Gary, I promise you I will get that to you in the way you need it by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, it changes your follow-through. But it also changes whether you can do it or not. You really start thinking about that request, and you know, man, with what's on my plate, I, <laughs> I, I overpromised, and I'll you underdeliver. Know, I, I overpromised, and most of us believe that breaking our promises is not a good thing. Of course, Paul, this one exercise, this this one cycle, if we learned how to do that as an individual. We can become somebody that others can count on. You know, well, clearly this, this cycle if, uh, applies beyond uh, the business world. Pete Weitzner talking to author Gary Tomlinson about his uh, latest book, uh, Discovering Execution. Uh, this works, so you work primarily with executives or middle managers and um, service industry, manufacturing, uh, what's economic silos, healthcare, technology, or do it doesn't matter. It, it actually doesn't matter. I have um, the companies that I have a lot of experience in and uh, enjoy working with. I get to do it on occasion, but most of the most of the industries I've been in are often new industries for me that I've never been in. 
Why would you say that is? Because these are companies who have a good idea. Maybe they're even profitable, but it's the now they have to manage their growth. They have to. They have to manage their growth, and and frankly, what we're looking for, we love to work with with an organization where you have a senior executive of a division or or maybe a CEO of an organization that says, "I am committed to us." to go to become great and i want our organization to be able to execute successfully year after year on our initiatives do you i'm 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 sure you do there are companies that may not be clients but just like any uh, back in the day anyone who wrote a book on marketing would cite procter and gamble or they'd cite johnson and johnson are there companies individuals even be small businesses that you cite in your book in your talks, in your coaching, that this is a company that knows how to execute? Boy, I should be able to tell you <laughs> list the name of the companies. Yeah. I don't know of any. I mean, you look you look in the book, you know, one of the, the great books, business books written is Good to Great by Collins. And, the, and the, the companies that were great, man, you go back and look at that list, how many of them are in existence anymore? And the ones that are, how many of them would be considered great today? I don't know many organizations that have that have really focused on becoming masters of execution. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find a single course on execution, on execution management, learning to manage execution down to an individual level in any of our business schools, in any of our business, in any of our MBA programs. They don't exist. Sure. So you're not, in, in your book, uh, you're, there, there's very few, even though these are business books, in fact, you may, I've, I've read that you're a big devotee of business books, uh, but you're not getting into uh, debits and credits and numbers and financing in any way. This is strictly, this is a management technique to get the best out of people and to get mutual respect. Yes, and this is, this is actually a book on, ma- on, on discovering execution, on execution through the lens of leadership. Our next book that we're writing is a book on leadership through the lens of execution. What it takes to be a leader when you're taking your organization on the journey to master it. What did you learn in writing this book, Gary, and how do you execute on a book in a, a day and age when the younger generation isn't, they may read books, but they were certainly getting them delivered on a different platform, and uh, when everybody's got what they call time poverty. So I'd take us through just the book writing and, and, and how you market that book. The very first thing that, that I did when Miles asked if I'd be willing to write a book on the topic of execution with him, you know, I jumped all over that. Almost within a day, I get introduced to another book by an associate, and he says, have you heard of this book? And it's called Book the Business by Adam Witte and Dan Kennedy. I would tell any of your listeners that are thinking about writing a book, especially a business book, to get that book, Book the Business by Adam Witte and Dan Kennedy. They start off with, the worst way to make money with your book is to sell it. (laughs) Now, that gets your attention. It does. But they go in and they give you a, a sort of a, a roadmap of how you might think about putting this book together and writing it. And we did so. But, Pete, the idea of, I mean, what we've learned from, from writing this book, it's been invaluable, and the learning hasn't stopped. You asked about younger people. I work with a lot of younger up-and-coming executives. 
I work with those in their 20s and in their early 30s. And one of the things we do is we read the book together. I have them read chapters, and then I tell them, ask them to tell me what they took away from it and what, and what experiences they have had they had around that. And it's been life-changing for them, but it's been life-changing for me. I'm learning more, even though I'm a co-author, I'm learning more about this book after it was written than I did when I was writing it. So is the book for you, and, and maybe is this one of the upshots in this uh, book, The Business, that it's as much a marketing vehicle even more uh, than it is in itself a profit center? Absolutely. Because it gives you credibility. It helps you establish what they call almost a, a celebrity authority status in your space. Real quick, Gary, we've, we've got a couple of minutes to go. Um, I, I, no one writes a book without thinking about the second book, and I think you've already mentioned it, so you're going to do it from a different perspective? Explain that. Yeah, we want to we talk about what it, what it takes to be a leader. When you are taking your organization or your department or your team on the journey to master execution, meaning that you're going to become really good at implementing the goals, the initiatives that you have set forth. And that you're not going to be able to do it just once, but that you're going to be doing it over and over. Because, Pete, let me ask you, if you were able to get better at execution, I mean, not just good, but really great at it, what could you get better at? Everything. <laughs> yeah, everything. Certainly be better as a uh, leader at my at work and just a better, more effective communicator. And this goes beyond your workplace. It goes into your personal place as well. Gary, if folks want to um, uh, buy your book or get in touch with you, how do they go about doing that? The easiest way to get our book is to go on Amazon.com and look for Discovering Execution. And our tagline is the key to high-performance organizations. Speaking of Amazon, I'm sure you study them, and you know they've made a big splash. It's a rare business water cooler story that they want to expand, build a new headquarters. Uh, you get anything out of uh, watching uh, Mr. Bezos and how he's built his empire? Just about a minute ago, so I'll throw one company out there to you, and I'm, I'm sure you I, do I, look I, at them. I think you, you would have to, to uh, say it's been impressive watching what is going on. And now with going after Whole Foods and going into the grocery store market. It's, it's, just, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Look what they've already done, how they've already changed the fabric of, of business. No, it's they, uh, as, as I always say, they, they put the D in disruption. Uh, we have been talking with Gary Tomlinson, in his book, and he just mentioned you can get it on Amazon, as we mentioned them, and the book is called uh, Discovering Execution. He's a healthcare executive, a healthcare entrepreneur turned consultant turned author. Gary, we appreciate you joining us from North Carolina, right? Yes, sir. Uh, and, and Pete, thank you for the interview. I appreciate you allowing me to be on. You bet. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thank you for the insights on execution and the execution cycle. Let's go through it one more time. Request, promise, follow through. That's correct. Okay. You're a good listener. Good job. <laughs>
<laughs> Sometimes. Gary Tomlinson was our guest. And coming up in just uh, about five minutes or so on Critical Mass, the radio show, Pete Weitzner in for Rick Franzi. Uh, we're going to talk with one of the big and most respected money guys at one of the most respected money management operations in the country, maybe the world. John Cavalieri is executive vice president at PIMCO, the giant money manager. $1.6 trillion, I believe, uh, AUM, assets under management, out of New Port Beach. John Cavalieri in studio and in our next half hour. Thank you for listening to Critical Mass for Business, either on criticalmassforbusiness.com. You can also listen to us on octalkradio.net. We're back in a few minutes. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 